0: This was one of the more difficult weeks I've had in trying to prepare a homily because the first thing we hear about Jeremiah being a prophet, a prophet that's dedicated, then we have Jesus being a prophet in his own hometown, yet not accepted. So I started to think, how have I been, like, what do I know about being a prophet and being an evangelizer, really? And I've recognized that I had very little to say as far as the success side. And so very little to share on that end as well as a practical guide. But then just in the sacristy a few minutes ago, it clicked that both Christ and Jeremiah are destined to failure and that in being a prophet, sometimes even when we are dedicated, we are destined to failure and God still dedicates us to do so. And so I just want to address a couple of different things. One, what is the the excuse that keeps us from being a prophet, from being an evangelizer? Why is it that it seems like it's always doomed to failure? And then, what are a few ways in which we can be a wall of brass, as the first reading says? The first thing, the excuse, the excuse that we all have it never works. No one ever listens. So then why try to speak the truth if no one is going to listen to it? I might as well just stay with my opinions and you have your opinions and let's not have a dialogue about this at all. The excuse remains a bad excuse because you can't do a kind of calculus to say whether it is effective to be a prophet or not. Why? Because we waste time with what we love. We waste time with what we love all the time. The, what I've recognized uh, in the past couple months, starting in mid November, and after surveying my Google Calendar about a couple weeks ago, I realized how much time I've wasted in the woods looking for an animal to shoot. And up to that point, my, my scientific findings had shown that ducks were an endangered species and that deer, in fact, do not exist that they just, they're photographed, like Bigfoot, you know, or the Loch Ness Monster. But, and if there are any wives out there and that hear their husbands say, well, I hunt for the meat, you know, it is neither a cost-effective nor a time-effective way to get it, you know. It's just a way in which to waste time on something that they love. After, so, and I've come to this conclusion after killing two of Bambi's cousins just not long ago, um that the t- amount of time and money spent on it is not worth it but still I will continue to waste time on it I will continue to sit in the field office and listen to audiobooks and stare out into space because I'll because I waste time for the things that I love and so do you we do it all the time you know uh the the years and years that like I just, rem- I'm printed in my memory of going to my grandparents' house and watching uh, this football team called the Saints in the background, and the angry words that were spewed out, and the memories that I can't seem to shake out of my head. But still, the Saints played. Why? Because for some reason, people love the Saints, and they would waste their time and energy in watching them. And so. For whatever reason, though, when it comes to evangelization, we say, well, it's not worth it. It's not worth engaging in the conversation, or it's not worth the time. And what that shows is that we simply don't love the Lord enough. If we did, then we'd be able to willing to waste our words for him. We'd be able to waste our time for him. It doesn't matter whether it's cost-effective, because if the word of the Lord is just on our lips, it's going to come out, and we'll say it anyway. And so that kind of calculated mindset should concern us that we should simply be able to speak of the Lord without counting the cost of whether it's cost effective, whether uh, conversion has happened. But then that second thing is that why does it seem like we never get to see conversion happen? A lot of times we're unaffected, we're bad evangelizers, bad prophets, because we get discouraged or we're lazy. But sometimes we put our best foot forward, and we still fail. So I have, and I know the focus missionaries here know this, and um, I, I realize why I don't like him now, uh, but I have always had an aversion to short-term mission trips. And it's probably because, honestly, it's because of that discouragement, don't see the fruit, you know? Um, so it's probably for a bad reason. I think short-term mission trips are maybe like, you know, a fine thing. So you can pat yourself on the back. Um, okay, so all that said, now uh, a couple years ago, college missions company went to Alaska, and I went to Alaska with them. And for about 11 days, we went door to door, we knocked on doors, and we invited people to come, especially like children, because, you know, the, the, the parents were usually out working in the middle of the day, to come and come to our, our little Bible camps, our uh, daily mass, et cetera, et cetera. And we probably knocked, I mean, the whole village on, there's about 900 people. We probably reached about all of them. We knocked on all the doors in the village. And at one point, there was outside of the church, a group of kids playing, and I was there. And I was a transitional deacon. I was not yet a priest. And as transitional deacon, I was dressed in my clerics. And I hear this voice yell out, the man is an imposter. The man is an imposter. And I'm looking around for the man. And I realize that I'm the imposter. And so this man approached me. And he's pointing and he's like veins are bulging. And he says, this man thinks that he can turn bread into God. And me, being afraid... I like a, a knee-jerk reaction. I said, "No, no, no! That's not me. That's the man with the golden beard, who is Father McIntyre. Uh, he has a blonde beard, but I didn't know the word uh, in my fears." So then we got into this conversation, um, maybe a little tense, and it was like pretty obvious. All so I'm like, "Okay, this man's like a little, just like a little crazy, you know? Like maybe he needs like a little bit of medication." And He ended the conversation. It didn't really get anywhere. But at that moment, after that, I went to the chapel. And I remember thinking, like, this is one of the most peaceful moments and the most purely joyful moments that I've had in a long time. Because I recognize that, like, blessed are are those who are persecuted for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, Uh, for the the gospel, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Uh, For the prophets have gone before you that a lot of times the most effective evangelizers and throughout the church never see the fruits of their evangelization because the it the cross is presented and the cross always remains a stumbling block. We recognize throughout the history of the church the most evangel, uh, effective evangelizers are martyrs. Martyrs obviously never see the fruits of their, their uh, evangelization. Why? Because they're dead after they're martyred. They never get to see it. You know, uh, a lot of times, like, whether it's a priest at a parish, and he's not liked by that parish, but the moment he leaves, that parish blooms. Why? Maybe because the priest was, like, saying something that was really hard. You know? Maybe it's a difficult conversation that you've had with, you know, a sibling or a child or a parent or something like that, and they never really get to see it until after that person's funeral. Like, that happens all the time with funerals, that... Uh, A holy person within a family will pass, maybe a grandmother or grandfather, and then it's like the the baton is passed on to those family members. And they receive the gospel. Why? Because the imprint of the cross was there. Sometimes the fact that we do not see our effects with evangelization shows that we're actually doing the Christian thing, because we are offering the cross, And as long as the resurrection is not seen, there will always remain a stumbling block. And so it's not our job to kind of survey or supervise, say whether this is, again, cost-effective, whether I am actually bearing fruit. It's the Lord's fruit to bear, and it's his to harvest. And so if we are participating in the cross then and sharing the cross, then we're doing what the Lord is asking us to do. So what are a few ways in which we can then just like kind of firm up ourselves? Obviously, preaching the truth is important, getting the truth right. But because the most effective evangelizers are those who are willing to fail for the Lord, who are willing to fail or in a sense doomed to failure, as Jeremiah was stoned by his own people and Christ was crucified by his own people, then what are some ways that we can dedicate ourselves because that word that we heard in that first reading was dedicated. I have dedicated you a prophet. I've been reading this book um, called Dedicated by this author, Pete Davis. And he talks about just a few, and it's about um, how millennials my age and under struggle to commit to anything. And we're just kind of stuck in um, infinite browsing, kind of in the hallway of life. We never really open any doors or walk through them. And he offers a few different tips on how to dedicate ourselves. And again, why is dedication important? Because Jeremiah was a wall of brass. He, w- he did not budge. The martyrs, though the truth that came off their lips were not accepted, their character was accepted. They're willing to fail for the Lord. So the first thing... That I think he mentions is very uh, interesting. Tells a story about this woman who kind of grows up in this kind of affluent family, and she wants to be a tattoo artist. And so the way in which she decides, you know what? Um, and I'm not recommending any of this, uh, recommending any of this for, for children. For well, I'm not recommending it is for anybody. But you know what I'm going to do uh, to make sure that I don't get a white collar job? I'm going to get a face tattoo. So she gets a face tattoo. Why? Because you probably don't want to buy real estate from somebody with a big face tattoo. You know, you probably don't want to, like, have that as your stockbroker, you know, if you have somebody with a big face tattoo. She had to burn the bridge. She had to burn the bridge from doing anything else if she was going to be a tattoo artist. Now, once she was able to do that, then she was able to commit. She didn't have that dead weight. And so we all carry this dead weight with our own, whether it be an occasion of sin, whether it be a certain friendship, whether it be uh, just associating with a group of, of, of worldliness, that we need to kind of burn the bridge, get the face tattoo, so to speak. You know, if it's if a it's struggle with lust or whatever, and we need to block a phone or flip phone, anything in which it's a dead weight that prevents us from failing for Christ, that we need to be able to get the face tattoo. The second thing that he mentions is the idea of vocalization, the idea of vocalization. Um, For those who do not know, um, there's this program called Exodus 90. Exodus 90 is, for 90 days, people take on these ascetical disciplines where they take cold showers every day, Uh, no sweets, no snacking, no unnecessary phone use, no TV, holy hour day, and the like. A couple years ago, I I said to myself, well, I'm not gonna join a group. I don't want people to know. I'm gonna be humble and do it myself for Lent. Two days later, I changed my Lenten Penance. It was like, this is really hard, and I don't wanna do this. Why? Because there was no vocalization. No one else knew about it. There was no accountability. I could move off of that very quickly and there not be any consequence. But now, whenever taking up Exodus 90, and there's a couple groups that are are in existence right now, and um, because there's accountability, it's much more fruitful, you know, because I know that there'll be penalty for it. You know, that Jeremiah himself is someone who later on says like, I wish that I had never been a prophet. Why? Because now that he's vocalized himself as a prophet, He can't go back. He has burned the bridge and he has made it vocal. People are holding him accountable to the word of the Lord. He is expected to be a Christian. So vocalizing whatever goals that I have for shoring up my desire for holiness or just vocalizing my Christianity within the workplace, within the family or within friends circles so that that expectation like Jeremiah will be put upon me. And then that third uh, thing, It's the idea of dedication itself, that word dedication. It has two meanings. One, obviously, to spend time and to invest in. But then the second, very interesting, is to be made holy, is to make holy. Whenever St. Pius was built um, a few years ago, the initial rite that the church performed was the dedication of a church. Dedication, that's that wasting time towards, that spending time toward, that investing toward something. And whenever we waste time for something, we, in a sense, make it holy. We put it above all the other things. But it's not us who dedicate ourselves to God as much as a prophet I dedicated you, as God dedicates himself to us. God is the one who first wastes time on us. He is the one who wastes energy on us. He is the one who wastes energy. His grace on us whenever he died for us while we were still enemies and it is he who calls us to be a prophet and whenever he convicts us he is the one who is doing the heavy lifting and so to not feel as if we are doing this alone but recognizing that it's God who is constantly drawing us to himself and so we ask that the Lord can give us a greater love for himself that we can be willing to fail for him as we are for those that we love and that which we love, and that we can dedicate ourselves as a wall of brass to whatever he desires.